Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Welcome to the final episode in Series 4 of Plod. I'm Daniel Burke of 3D Solicitors. Last week I was joined by Aaron Rathmel, a barrister and a specialist in police law from Sergeants in Chambers, to discuss the failures by investigators in investigating cases and the principles which should be applied to investigations to avoid breaches of Article 3, which is the prohibition against uh, mental or physical torture, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. I'm delighted to be joined by Aaron again to discuss a similar case, this one falling under Article 2 of the Human Rights Act, the right to life. This case was decided last year following a claim against the state of Albania, uh, Albania sorry, in Tershana and Albania, where it was held that the authorities' failure to adequately investigate an acid attack against a woman amounted to a breach of the procedural obligation under Article 2, and this resulted in her being paid damages. Erin, thank you again for joining us. Could you talk our listeners through the background to this case? Yeah, and thank you very much for having me. At the foundations of this case was a horrible acid attack in 2009, causing the the applicant, the victim, really severe physical uh, and psychological injuries, and she was unable to work for quite a time thereafter. She hadn't recognised the attacker, but she did suspect that her former husband had been involved and that it was a, a domestic or revenge attack because um, he had been jealous, she said, and threatened to kill her if they had got divorced. There were some investigations undertaken by police. It's not a case where there was no investigation. The police had secured the applicant's clothes. They'd secured some of the liquid used in the attack. They'd secured a fingerprint. They'd subjected the attest, the liquid, or, or at least submitted it for forensic analysis. And they'd also done some telephone and other investigation into the former husband who was suspected by the victim to be the perpetrator. But neither some of the video footage that had been obtained nor a fingerprint assisted. And the toxicology report into the liquid really wasn't progressed because the body asked to prepare the report, said it was outside its sphere of competence. So it hadn't been possible to identify the perpetrator of this horrible acid attack and the investigation was stayed. We discussed actually, Aaron, in our, our last episode uh, regarding failures in, in Article 3 cases, that the, the courts in both sorts of cases of, of made clear that it's, uh, you know, the means of the investigation, not necessarily the end that's important. You've highlighted some of the things that were done and a failure to perhaps carry out further investigations in relation to the acid. Were there other failures in, in this investigation? Well, the big failure here was to obtain an expert report that enabled identification of the substance used in the attack and therefore potentially its origin. 
that wasn't obtained, let alone obtained quickly. Again, as I said, this wasn't a case where nothing was done, but it is really important that the investigators had failed to progress that forensic line of inquiry. All investigations have to be done as well as possible within means. The court recognises the practical realities facing investigators. But the court also said that special diligence is required in particular cases, in this case, an acid attack, obviously very serious and engaging Article 2 and arguably Article 3 as well. But the case was really analysed under Article 2. That, because it, it, it was actually the case that the case was stayed on the 2nd of February 2010 and, and it was on the basis they carried out all, well, they said they carried out all possible investigative uh, actions. The second edition of the European Court of Human Rights noted the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, or the CEDAW, this is specifically referred to acid, acid attacks as a, as a form of gender-based violence against women and requires a gender-sensitive approach to understand the level of pain and suffering experienced. Was that met in this case? No, it wasn't, although it must also be said that while the court noted that convention, it never really went on to bottom out potential questions of discrimination and failure by investigators to give special consideration to the nature of the offending and take a gender-sensitive approach to understand the particular level of pain and suffering experienced by this victim of an acid attack. The case was was still found to have fallen sort of squarely within Article 2. Do you want to explain to our listeners why? Well, it was Article 2 because even though um, the applicant, the victim, didn't die, plainly her life was under real threat and she had suffered such serious injuries. So Article 2 is engaged even in cases where there's no actual death if someone's life is put at risk of of real and imminent threats to their life. Well, was there any suggestion in this case that police were aware of an imminent threat? Had there been a breach of the positive duty on the police under Article 2? There hadn't been a breach of the positive duty because this was rather early on in the threat posed to this particular applicant. I think it was the first time that she had made a a report to police and um, suffered an injury. There was no evidence to show that she had informed the authorities of the risks posed to her by her former husband and, and his threats. So police were not on notice, as it were, so as to engage the positive duty. But there was this breach of the Article 2 procedural duty to perform an effective investigation. And, and of course, had they been aware of the threat, the the police would have had a positive duty to have given a warning similar to an Osmond warning. Um, Yes, an Osmond warning is is the name given to, uh, I think it's letters, um, as well as visits by police, to persons who um, face a threat to their life, a real and imminent risk to their life based on credible intelligence at a stage when the evidence isn't enough to make particular arrests and to terminate that risk. 
the police will issue an Osman letter, as they're sometimes known, uh, after the case, Osman and the United Kingdom in 1998. This, uh, again, wasn't a case where there'd been no effective investigation at all. Where really did the court found the, the breach lay that gave rise to uh, an award of compensation? Well, the failure in this case was to really reach the highest standards that are required in such a serious case of an acid attack, threatening someone's life, causing such serious psychological and physical injuries. So special diligence is required to deal with violent crimes of this nature, prompt responses required by investigators, thorough and effective responses required to maintain public confidence in the rule of law. Erin, in this case, the victim was awarded compensation. It seemed fairly low, €12,000. What are your views on where that fell? Well, €12,000 does seem a little low by UK standards, but the court will also have regard to, for want of a better phrase, the purchasing power of the damages award in the particular country that they're dealing with. And in um, the case that we're talking about, the £12,000 in Albania goes rather further than it might do in central London. So it's not necessarily a low award. And in um, awards for breaches of convention rights, sometimes it's not necessary to make damages awards at all. By UK standards, an award of €12,000 might fall within a sort of middle bracket in the UK. In the UK, we know from the DSD litigation in 2014 against the Metropolitan Police, the High Court, Mr Justice Green, said that a nominal or a low award of damages might be 1,000 to 8,000 euros because he was looking at the court's case law, whereas an award for a routine violation of Article 3 with no serious or long-term aspects might be 8,000 to 20,000. And then a case where there's um, serious long-term consequences or unusual aggravating factors, um, damages might start at about 20,000 euros and go up to and above 100,000 euros. So a really significant range and a lot of practitioners find it difficult to interpret and systemise what the Strasbourg Court is is awarding or is likely to award. Well, let's look now at the, the judgments of the court in this case. Do you have any feelings that they may have missed opportunities to comment on, on any particular issues where they could have given perhaps clarification? Did you have any criticisms of the, of the judgment? Well, it's interesting that the court did not go on to look at Articles 3 and 14. Article 3 is the, the prohibition on inhumane and degrading treatment. And Article 14 is the prohibition on discrimination in connection with enjoyment of other convention rights. Article 14 isn't a standalone discrimination right. It's the right to enjoy your other convention rights without discrimination. It might have been interesting in this case for the court to go on to analyse whether behind some of the stark failures in the criminal justice 
system that the court's considering in this case, if behind those failures there was an element of discrimination, either in the particular case or systemically in that national authorities weren't taking this domestic violence threat, which the victim had said was posed by her jealous ex-husband, if they weren't taking that seriously enough and if there was a sex discrimination element to that. Also, some of the case law which the court cited in its decision, cases such as De Silva, didn't really fit the facts of this case because De Silva and other cases the court cited, such as Kayer and Yasa, are to do with unlawful killings by state agents. So perhaps there was a sense that we don't get um, the most factually out of this case uh, tailored to the court's case law as we might otherwise have got, but it's difficult to criticise the court for that because, like any court, it depends on what the parties argued before the court and what they presented to the court. Uh, This was the decision of the second section of the European Court of Human Rights, and we don't have the detail of the parties' submissions and the history of the case. But, yeah, there are those um, question marks. Uh, Might the court have brought together strands of its case law and adapted them better to this case? And might the court have explored the potential discrimination element that, that may have been in the background rather than just noting the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, CEDAW, rather than just noting that, really relating it to Article 14, discrimination and investigatory work. Yes, I think perhaps a missed opportunity is a way to put it, that that they did reference the Convention, but if in fact within this particular instance the acid was used because the victim was a woman, or if it's a a wider problem within a certain state, that it would have been helpful to see how the court would apply Article 14. Yes, indeed, Dan. Had this been an acid attack against a man, would that have been something so extraordinary to investigators that they would have done more and bottomed out their forensic investigations. Is it the case or or is it unfair to even pose the question that because this was an acid attack on a woman said to be related to her marriage and threats to kill by the jealous husband if there was going to be a divorce, was that something that was a bit mundane to investigators and so they didn't take it seriously enough? That, that's an interesting question. And obviously, if, if the answer to the latter proposition is yes, that's um, highly discriminatory. Yeah, ought to have applied and um, be interesting to see statistics on this and um, hopefully it won't be, uh, you know, if a sub situation like this arises again, which I'm afraid is uh, gender-based violence is a problem, it would be one that I hope the court doesn't miss an opportunity to consider. Aaron, thank you so much. And uh, again, if anyone listening to this hasn't listened to our last episode, uh, we discussed fairly uh, similar failings in the case of Y and Bulgaria and, and how Article 3, the uh, prohibition against degrading inhuman treatment and torture, applies. And uh, Aaron discussed uh, also failures, serious failures in police investigations in the UK in our very first episode of Blood Series 1. Episode 1, I'm sure, will be joining us again in the next series. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us again. 
Thanks very much, Dan. Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.